just out of respect. So if anybody wants to lead the music, they certainly welcome to, and I have no objections to somebody standing up here. Just that's just the way I do it. So kind of excited about this morning as we uh, take a look at the book of Jonah. You'll turn the button about in the middle of your Bibles, depending upon what uh, kind of a Bible you have. Mine's a little bit towards the back half of the middle, if you will. Jonah. What do we know about Jonah? When's the last time you read? Of course, we all we all know about the story of the fish and Jonah being in the belly of the fish, and of course Jesus references this in his own ministry, talking about being in the belly of the fish for three days as it uh, symbolically represents and accurately represents the number of days that Jesus spent in the tomb. Or spent uh, away from us. Just exactly where was Jesus during that time? Well, we know that Jesus was resurrected and this story in Jonah is kind of a foreshadowing of that to some degree. But i got to tell you, the book of Jonah, or the letter, whatever you want to call it, I don't know what's Hard to call it four chapters a book, but it is. It is short, but it is absolutely full of all kinds of literary um, gotchas. All kinds of literary themes. And it's one of the most beautifully written letters in all the Bible. If you really take a look at it, and I would highly encourage each of you to take a study. Because you could come up with probably 50 or 60, 70, 100 different sermons just out of the book of Jonah. But there is an overriding theme here, and it is the compassion of God himself. The compassion of God. So if you'll allow me, I'm going to kind of give you a summary of Jonah, if you're not familiar with it. Jonah uh, lived during the time of uh, when the kingdom first split. You had the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, and Jonah was was a, prophesied under King uh, Jeroboam. King Jeroboam was the first king of Israel after the split. Jeroboam. So Jonah lived during a time about 750 to 780 BC, somewhere around there. During this time, the Assyrians, who were their enemies, were pretty well defeated and they had some other things going on. So they left. Israel alone, and it's kind of a rare thing, but during this period of time that Jonah prophesied, was a pretty peaceful time for Israel. Pretty peaceful time. And that's significant to the theme of this book as we see Jonah's response to God's call. I don't want you to think about your response to God's call when he asks you to do something. Because initially when I first have read this over the years, I think, why would Jonah not want to go to Nineveh and, and preach the gospel? Why? I don't understand that. He, he understood the blessing of God. He, he prophesied. I mean, he was the mouth of God for the king and, and Israel, the northern kingdom, and he had good things going on. He was blessed. There was, it was a good, uh, prosperous time, really, when he lived. He, in other words, folks, he was a little bit like us. Things are pretty good. We're in a time since I've been born, really, there haven't been any major wars. I mean, there have been some conflicts. I don't mean to, that, but there's not been a World War I, not been a World War II. There's not been a Vietnam War. There's it just, it's pretty peaceful, isn't it? 
for the most part, in, in America, in the, in, in the Western United States, uh, the Western world, we're kind of spoiled. And I kind of think that Jonah was kind of in the same situation. We're just living his life and put his faith and trust in God. And keep in mind, 750 B.C., this is before Jesus was born and to his mother Mary, the virgin birth, and before he went to the cross and died and was resurrected. So the people had faith. They had faith in what was to come, which was the promised Messiah. And Jonah was one of them. But he was pretty busy living his life, enjoying it. Probably had hot water. Probably had heat at home. Roof over his head. Might have had two or three dogs. Might have had neighbors with two or three dogs. You follow me? It was a pretty decent time for Jonah. He was a serious man, though. He was a man of God. And it says in Jonah chapter 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So he got a message from God. He says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. It's interesting, as I was in bed last night, and I had a terrible time falling asleep. I was restless. I don't know why. Maybe because I'd been out in the cold, putting new locks on the doors and things, but I just my body wasn't ready to settle down. And the word great came to me as I was thinking about Jonah. And that the word, uh, a great city of Nineveh. Well, who, who determines when a city is great? Where does that word come from? The great city of Las Vegas. Yet it's the sin city. Folks, Nineveh, when he uses the word to destroy Nineveh, the word that is used to annihilate it is the same word that was used to describe Sodom and Gomorrah. 120,000 people. Pretty pathetic place. A lot of sin going on there if you follow what I'm talking about, okay? Yet, in the very first passage, it says, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. God is calling this a great city. Wow, that's kind of weird. So there's one of the, one of the things, I mean, the, 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 the letter is full of little things like this. And I thought, great. Who defines great? You and I probably would not agree with that statement, that this city full of sinners is not great. Hmm. So this one verse kind of gives us a clue as to the rest of the theme, which is God's great compassion on people. Even people who are sinners. What kind of compassion do we have? As we look through this, we need to be thinking and be mindful of ourselves as well. This Lord is a God of boundless compassion, not just for us. Not boundless compassion just for you and I as believers, but for all of humanity, all of creation, he has compassion. Listen to what I'm saying. Some of you don't agree with that. God has compassion on all of his creation. All of them. Including the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Including the people in Nineveh. 
including the people that are in your life that have come and gone that you can't stand, that you don't want to be around, that are hypocrites, that you've made fun of or perhaps you don't like or stopped hanging out with, the people that are the worst of the worst of the worst, God still has compassion upon them. It is riddled throughout the Bible, that theme of God's compassion. And Jonah knows that God is a compassionate God. And Jonah doesn't like that fact. Jonah's kind of like, I I like your blessings coming upon me, my nation, my king, and everything that's going on, but you know what? We're the chosen people. And at this point, 750 B.C. or so, keep in mind, they don't know yet that the chosen people are going to have to expand and preach the gospel to the Gentiles and the pagans and the rest of the people. So we, we see this here, and Jonah's like, why would you want me to go to this horrible city I know what's going to happen, God. We're going to go there. They're going to hear the good news and they're going to turn to you. Is that what you really want? All these horrible people? Is that what you want? And I'm purposely being dramatic because I want you to understand this is what's going through Jonah's mind because it is hard to reconcile. Why would a man of God who is in great times being blessed, serving the king, prophesying, getting God's word, speaking directly to God, say to God, I'm not going there. Because I know you're compassionate and I know you're going to do a good work there. I'm not going there. I don't want to share your goodness with everybody else. I'm content with the way things are. So what does Jonah do? He gets on a boat and he goes the opposite direction to Tarshish. The opposite direction. And there's another little literary thing. Sometimes when God asks us to do something, instead of going towards what he told us to do, we turn around and go, nope, I'm going this way. We don't just go halfway we go completely 180 degrees the other direction. Been there? Yeah. And you kind of know the rest of the story, right? The primary purpose of this book, of this letter, is to engage you. To engage its readers, to engage its audience in a theological reflection, if you will, on this compassionate character of God. It's a reflection, a theological reflection on the compassionate character of God. And in large degree, it's a self-reflection for each of us. Does our character represent that same compassion that our God does? And I dare say that for most people, it does not. We're kind of selfish with our God. If you think about it. There are people in your life right now, if you're a human being, don't particularly care if they ever hear the gospel. You just assume they go to hell. In fact, maybe you've even used that vernacular in your lifestyle at some point in time, and I don't need to repeat it. And maybe you don't. Maybe you're one of those compassionate people you you, you matured as a Christian, and it doesn't affect you. Uh, By having that attitude, it affects you. At point, we, it's not possible for you and I in these bodies to have the kind of compassion that God has. We must rely upon the filling of the Holy Spirit like we sang the song. Fill us, O oh Lord. The filling of the Holy Spirit. We need to become vehicles of this compassion in a world that God has made and deeply cares about. We need to be vehicles of God's compassion in a world that He made and cares, listen, deeply about. He does. He cares about all of it. 
Maybe I'm kind of silly. But I saw a dead possum on the side of the road this morning. Dead. Been here all night. You can tell. Right? What did I do? I swore to miss it. That's just compassion. Right? Now you probably know some people that would just try to line their tires up just right. God has made everything. All of creation is His. The squirrel, the possums, the doggies. But you guys, us, we're the pinnacle of His creation. Some of you are going, well, Jesus is. Well, no, Jesus wasn't created. Jesus is God. Always has been, always will be. We are the pinnacle of His creation. We are not God. But He's very proud of His creation. He made us. And He gave us free will and free choice. No different for Jonah. Jonah was just a regular guy. He was a very godly guy, but he was no different than you and I. So we want to understand this primary purpose of this book is to engage readers in this idea of how compassionate our God truly is. There's some things out there if you, if you want to read about, well, was the fish real? Of course, we've heard it called a, a whale. It's not a whale, it's a fish, a giant fish. So that would be called an allegory. And the allegory would be this representative of Israel's ultimately fighting the idea that they're going to go out and share the gospel with Gentiles, resisting that. And to this day, Orthodox Jews resist that. Today, Orthodox Jews resist the Savior and Jesus is Lord and Savior, and that Jesus is God. They're still waiting on someone to fill that Messiah role, Messianic role, and they still feel that they are the chosen people and that God can only entertain their beliefs and not the rest of the world's. That's an allegory, but that's not representative of this book. If you do a deep dive and study the book, it is written as a uh, prophetic narrative. And I don't want to get into all the details because it will lose you and it's confusing and I don't have time. But it's a prophetic narrative, very much like Elijah and Elisha found in 1 Kings. As a matter of fact, if this story of Jonah was found in 1 Kings or 2 Kings, we would not be surprised at all because it flows very smoothly. And the other thing is, there's a lot of historical arguments for the narrative because names are, names are named. When Jesus gives a parable, he doesn't use names, right? Now, you might argue the parable when he talks about Abraham's bosom and uh, uh, Lazarus. I'm telling you, that's not a parable. That's true. That's a story. That's a story from Jesus. This here is not a parable. It's not an example of. It's not an allegory of. It's not symbolic of. It is historically accurate. It's, and we go... Huh, a fish, huh? There are actually documented cases out there where people have been swallowed by large fish and survived. Okay? So, it happened. If Jesus can be raised from the dead, he could put a man in a fish and live. And it's true. So don't, don't, uh, don't think that it's a narrative. It's, 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 it's really, and Jesus referred to it as though it were a historically accurate uh, thing that happened, okay? So I'll just enough on that. But don't, don't think of it as just a story that symbolizes. I don't believe that. 
Um, a couple other things here is we get to see God's sovereignty. First place we see that is in verse 4 of Jonah chapter 1. It says that after Jonah decided that he wasn't going to do this, he says he went down to Joppa, found a ship to Tarshish, and then verse 4 says, and the Lord hurled a great wind. Some notes here. God, and he uses the word appointed, and here it says hurled. God hurled a great wind. So God's in control. We're going the wrong way. God says, I'm going to get your attention. Throws a great wind at you. You ever been in that situation? I think Julie and I battled with that on whether or not we want to get this house. We're like, okay, is this a great wind coming from God? Is resisting? Are we? What's going on here? And you pay attention to that, right? What's, what's going on here? But anyway, in this situation, it was very exact. God hurled this great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, and the ship threatened to break up. And then the rest of the story basically is the people that were on the ship said, what in the world's going on? And Jonah's down in the hole sleeping. So they wake him up and say, hey, 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 hey. You're the, they knew who he was. They knew he was a godly man. They said, hey, you need to talk to your God. You need to tell him to back off. And that's not in the Bible, but that's basically what it says. Jonah says, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you know, I didn't follow God. I'm going the other. It's, it's because of me. Just throw me off the ship. He was, I mean, he just, he's mad at God. He's like, just throw me off the ship. I don't even care at this point. I'm not going to Nineveh. Just throw me off the ship. Have you ever had that attitude with God? God, you know what? I'm not doing it. I don't care what you do. I'm not doing that. Maybe not to that degree, but in our minds. So that's what happened. But even the, the people on the boat had a reverence for God. They were like, man, you need to do something. They even said in verse 11, what shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us and the sea grew more and more temptuous? And that's when Jonah said, just pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. <laughs> Listen to this. Verse 14, therefore they called out to the Lord. This is the folks on the boat. Verse 14, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord. Have done as it, it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. And then, key, key note here, verse, six, verse uh, 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Huh! Those men turned to the Lord. They recognized God. Did what he said. Turned to him. Sacrifice to the Lord. They made their vows. Then look in verse 17. Now Jonah's floating around in the water. Floating around in life. You know how we do. We just kind of doing our thing. He's just waiting for, he's just waiting to drown. He's just waiting to die. Just waiting around. The Lord appointed a great fish. So not only he appointed a great storm and a great wind, he appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. This speaks to the other theme of God's sovereignty. See how God works? 
God's trying to get Jonah's attention, so he made the fish, assigned the fish, appointed the fish. It wasn't by accident the fish came upon him. It was by direction and intention that the fish came and swallowed Jonah. It was intended to do it. God said, may this happen. Do this. God is speaking to his creation. Yes, God is speaking to the possum. God is speaking to the deer, to the donkey, to the fish. It's all his creation. He can do what he wants. Well, that seems silly. Okay. I think it's silly that somebody can come back to life. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, with that? Okay, well, no. I think it's silly that the Red Sea split. I think it's silly that Noah's Ark existed. I think it's silly that there was an Adam and Eve. Where are you going to stop with that silliness? Come on. Either you believe what Jesus said or you don't. You can try to make excuses. You can try to rationalize it, but God is in charge. God appointed. And then as Jonah's in the belly, chapter 2, I'm, I'm skipping along. At the very end it says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up. <laughs> Imagine the fish. Uh, doesn't taste very good. So he vomits him up on dry land. When? When God decides. God planted. Jonah spent his time in the belly of the fish, and there was a lot going on there, obviously with his prayers and things, and he's kind of coming to his senses, and he kind of figures out, I better do what God asked me if I ever get out of here, and so he does. And in chapter 3, it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. He didn't say, Hey, Jonah, wipe the slime off and the guts and the seaweed, and, and, and you know, take a couple of days. Take a break. I know you don't feel good. It was stinky. Probably got a little methane gas in your lungs from all the buildup or the decomposition. It's... He says, go to Nineveh. I told you to go to Nineveh. And guess what Jonah does? He goes to Nineveh. I think that'd be enough to convince me. Right? God's not asking how I'm doing. He's not offering me anything. He says, I need you to, now do you get it? You, you understand now. I want you to go to Nineveh. And I go take a shower. So he does. What's interesting is that when Jonah arrives, they know who he is, okay? 120,000 people. He, he gets, he's there and he's speaking to some of the key people, we assume. He gives a sermon. Eight word sermon. There's another literary thing for you to look into. An eight-word sermon. How silly is that? Eight words changed 120,000 people. And here's what he said. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The word overthrown here is the same word used to describe exactly what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. So the people of Nineveh knew exactly what was coming. And they were like... <gasps> Uh, we know who this man is. He's a man of God. He's kind of friends with the king, the big dude. Uh, he tells us God has come here and in, 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 in a short time we're going to be overthrown. So it may seem insignificant to you and to me as we read that, but when you study it, you find out that the message that he gave was exactly understood by the people receiving it. And they responded. Verse 5 of chapter 3. 
And the people believed. And the people of Nineveh believed God. That's a miracle. What a... Wow. We don't understand how. We don't understand if it was the... It was nothing... And, and again, going back to studying this, you go, okay, it wasn't in his presentation. It wasn't, I'm 24 minutes into the sermon. It wasn't a 24-minute dissertation. It wasn't that at all. It wasn't... It was eight words. God is going to do something to you in 40 days. You better get, on, better get your act together. You're going to be overthrown, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. They understood that, and what they do? They believed. <laughs> the king then called for a fast. They put on sackcloth. They did all this. In verse 10 of chapter 3, when God saw what they did, when God saw what they did, again, they had a choice. God saw what they did after they heard the message. He said, how they turned from their evil way. They turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. They repented. God relented. <laughs> chapter 4. We're, toward, we're in the last chapter now. That went quick, didn't it? Listen to this. But it, dis, it displeased Jonah. Chapter 1, chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Jonah's mad. I knew that was going to happen. Wow. I knew you shouldn't have gone to prison to preach to those murderers. I knew you shouldn't have started a prison ministry. I knew you shouldn't have done that because look what, look what happened. God's like, yeah. I have compassion on all on all people. Think about that for a minute. As we think about our political situation and all of the things going on, we can't even identify as one person or the other. And it makes us mad. To go to a college and there's a men's bathroom, a women's bathroom, and there's a bathroom that says non-gender. You can fill in the blanks. Let me tell you something. God loves all people. And we welcome the opportunity to spread the gospel to everybody. It doesn't mean you have to agree, but it means you show compassion like God has shown compassion upon, guess who? Look in the mirror, you. There are probably some things in your life, in my life, that you're just not too proud about. Everybody has a battle. Everybody is suffering with something. But Jonah was exceedingly angry. And to wrap these things up, because I know we're getting to that point. God simply asks Jonah, chapter 4, verse 4, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Is, is it good for you, Jonah, to be angry at me? Are you, are you happy with yourself? Are you sure that's the right attitude to have with me? Jonah even went out of the city and he built a little area, a little place to sit in the shade. 
just to see what God was going to do. So God had already decided to relent because of their repent. He decided not to bring terror upon them and destroy them like Sodom and Gomorrah. Yet Jonah is sitting outside the city gates. This is kind of a neat city. Sitting outside the city of several gates, sitting out there just waiting to see, okay, what's going to really happen? Come on, God, you're not really going to save these people, are you? I mean, you're going you're, you're gonna to rain down hail and brimstone on them, right? Something, you're, right? Right? He's still waiting for God to do something bad to him. I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that. Verse 6, listen to this. As Jonah's sitting out there, verse 6, chapter 4, it says, The Lord appointed a plant. There it is again. So he appointed a storm, he appointed a fish, he appointed a plant. God's in control. He appoints a plant and it made, made it to come up over Jonah. That it might be shade over his head. Thank God for shade trees. Thank God for fruit trees. Thank God for all of what prospers and all the greenery. Thank God for the fall and the winter and the summer and the spring. God has appointed that time. So it says Jonah was exceedingly glad now. Well, he was glad because he feels good. He was glad. He was hot. It's hot in the Middle East. Glad for that shade. And then listen to this. It said, but when dawn came, the next day, listen, God appointed a worm. So he appointed a storm. He appointed a fish. He appointed a plant. And he appointed a worm. And the worm ate the plant and took away the shade. And then God appointed an easterly wind to come in. It was really, really hot. It says, God appointed a scorching east wind as the sun rose and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah. I'm in verse 8. So that he was faint. I mean, he was very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. So just because you're uncomfortable doesn't mean that God hasn't appointed as such. I hate that. I do. I hate that thought. I, I hate to think that I'm going to be uncomfortable for God's glory. Got news for you. You're going to be uncomfortable more times than you're going to be sitting in the shade. And God has appointed it and designated it. And He is sovereign. And I love that about Him. He says, God appointed it. And then what did Jonah say? He says, it'd be better for me to be dead. And I love this. At the very end it says, and the Lord, in verse 10, and the Lord said, you pity the plant? You pity the plant for which you did not labor. You didn't make it. You didn't grow it. You didn't, you didn't do anything to make it happen. Nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I then pity Nineveh? He says, you're more concerned about your own feelings. You're more concerned about your own discomfort. You actually pity the plant. Because it's gone, but you're not the least bit concerned that all 120,000 people in the city could be gone in a flash. Wake up, is what he's saying. He says, do you do well to be angry? Are you sure your anger is justified, Jonah? Are you sure your compassion is in the right place? He says, you show pity on the plant that died because you suddenly now are in pain. In the heat. 
And you show more concern for it and you're willing to die for that. But you're not willing to do the same for the people of Nineveh? So he leaves us with this. This is how the story ends. There is no grand finale. It's like watching a movie for two hours and you go, that's it? Don't you hate that? You hate that? You got to left the fill in the blank. That's the intention here. It's left, left us with this question. And God says in verse 11, And should not I pity Nineveh? That great city, there's the word again, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. They don't know what they're doing. I have compassion upon them. And then the very last thing he says, and also much cattle. That is a dig at Jonah. God's saying, you got your digs in on me. God says, you got your digs on me, and I'm showing compassion on you, Jonah. He says, if you're not concerned about the 120,000 people, I want you to know something. There's a lot of cattle there too. There's a lot of animals there. So maybe you're more concerned about the animals than you are the people. Do you follow what I'm saying? He's being kind of comedic. And that's how it ends. Don't you think I should have pity on the people of Nineveh? You get concerned when a plant dies? You're not in the shade? You're not comfortable? Okay, okay. If, if you're not okay with the people, then what about the cattle? What about the chickens? What about the little doggies and the little chickens and little dogs and the cats and the possums and squirrels? That's what he's saying. Even then, Jonah, I appointed. And more so what the message is, I appointed these people. And God loves people. Don't stop praying for a group of people or for a person because you don't agree with their lifestyle or because you don't agree with where they're at. Even other fellow Christians pray for each other. Not all Christians like each other, but we should with the compassion of God. The first thing on your mind should be this is a creature of God, God's making. Even your spouse of 46 years messes up. But was created by God. And we are to have that kind of compassion on others as well. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Jonah is so rich with so many theological themes. But we thank you. This morning as we see your theme of compassion and sovereignty, Lord God. Lord, I just pray that as we study this independently, Lord, that we would, you would reveal to us the many, many truths. There's such a wonderfully complicated yet unique look at humanity and mankind as a whole. And Lord, thank you for bringing this message to us today. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name I pray. Amen.